Good morning and welcome to Talking Point, broadcasting from the Radisson Blue Hotel at the Galway International Arts Festival. This morning we're going to talk about the much put upon millennial. Is this a generation facing insurmountable challenges of a housing shortage, increasing education demands, the end of job security, reared in the narcissistic internet age of the selfie, where followers and likes are favoured over a work ethic and deferred gratification? Is it taking longer to be become an adult today. Dr. Maureen Gaffney is a psychologist and author and her most recent book is Flourishing. Alan Ahern is a professor of economics and director of the Whitaker Institute at NUIG. And James Kavanagh is an entrepreneur and social media star. Um, Maureen, can I start with you, please? Could you explain to us what an adult is? Is it something that's biological, emotional or economically well, uh, it's, it's, it's all of these, uh, Sarah. Um, but I think the big change is not so much in, you know, the the sort of being an adult. It's more feeling like an adult. Um, and before, and up to relatively recently, um, people, as were knew they had entered adulthood when when they passed certain markers. So when they left school. Uh, when they finished training, uh, when they got a job, uh, when they turned 21, you know, they were the big markers, but they are no longer the big markers. In fact, when you ask um, people uh, in their 20s who are roughly, you know, it's not quite a millennial, a millennial goes all the way from, you know, 24 to 34, but we just say people in their 20s. Um, when psychologists now ask them, um, if they feel adult, um, they they don't. They they know they're not adolescents. They but they feel in between. They feel in some ways I'm an adult, but in other ways I'm not. Um, and when you ask them what ranks as now the marker uh, into adulthood, the thing that comes bottom of their list is what used to be very traditional, which was getting married or getting a job. Uh, or anything like that. They, the thing that is the very top of their list is feeling that they can take responsibility for their own lives. Uh, and next is being financially independent. Um, uh, so it's, it's much more sort of psychological markers. There are many more, you know, like that. Um, so it's much more a sense that you are now able to launch yourself into the world, that you can make your own decisions, that you feel you're in a position to make your own decisions. That's really the marker uh, into adulthood now. Um, Alan Ahern, I think perhaps with the expense of housing, there are probably an awful lot of people in their 20s and maybe even early 30s who are obliged to live at home with their parents. So while they may be psychologically mature, if they haven't actually left home or, you know, made that financial independent leap from their parents, economically, are they an adult? Um, I think what you're seeing is that, um, well, we know that people are, are more people are going to college than ever before. Uh, and uh, some of them live away from homes, but some of them uh, live at home. Um, people are, we know the home ownership rate in Ireland has declined quite a lot. So a lot of young people are, are renting. Um, they uh, and now now one of the things that happened well, recently is the rents have got very high, at least in certain cities, particularly in Dublin, and so those that cannot 
afford to pay those rents, then they are, are stuck at home. But for many, I think um, they don't want to buy a house. Um, I think what happened with the crash scared a lot of people. Uh, they saw house prices going up and then crash, and they saw the, out, uh, the, the fallout from that. Uh, and so, and addition, many young people have jobs that uh, they don't intend to be there for the rest of their lives. They intend to, to move around. And so renting suits them more. So I think that you have seen a lot of young people make a decision not to, not to buy a house, even if, if they could. They prefer, they prefer to rent if they can. Uh, and that's uh, we know that from the statistics that people, young people, are, are, are renting more. Now, to what extent is any of this new? Because I've talked before with I think Tony Fahey, a sociologist, mm. and he talks a lot about how marriage, particularly in the first half of the last century in Ireland, was deferred. People couldn't afford to um, leave home unless they actually emigrated. And you had people not getting married into their thirties, which globally speaking was quite old. So. Is is this generation an exception in deferring decisions because of the economy or was the post-World War II generation the exception because the economy was booming and they got to do stuff earlier? I, th- I mean, the, in the, certainly in the, the 60s, for example, that yeah. generation got married very, at least outside of Ireland, yeah. in the United States, got married very young. And yeah. uh, um, But what's happened is people are, are deferring, uh, as Maureen mentioned, deferring marriage. Uh, and therefore, putting off things like buying buying their buying their first home, um, and uh, and as I said, so renting suits suits a, a lot of people a lot more. So if people have if their marker for adulthood is when they buy their first house, then um, then a lot of people won't be buying their first house till the, the well, well into their thirties. Okay, so James Kavanagh, you're twenty eight. I don't think you mind me advertising. Just turned 28. <laughs> so, so what stage are you at? Do you feel that you're an adult? And what for you was the marker of becoming an adult? Uh, I don't really feel like I'm an adult in terms of what the stereotypical adult is. Um, I like I'm renting. Um, I have no a, a mortgage isn't in my view yet. Um, marriage isn't for me in general. Um, I know a lot of fr- friends around me. It's not for for them either. Um, but I am kind of working in the background on setting up a cafe. Um, which ho- I'm hoping to open up next year with my with my boyfriend and business partner next summer. And that to me is when I, I might feel like an adult when I'm actually owning my own business. Um, but like not to sound wishy-washy or whatever but I'm kind of more after happiness and I'm quite happy at the moment and a lot of people around me that are around my age are quite happy but they're they're the ones kind of rejecting the stereotypical adulthood and that you're supposed to be doing in order to feel happiness so I have a lot of friends who are the same age some even into their 30s who aren't you know concerned about having a, a mortgage aren't concerned in concerned about putting a ring on the finger or thinking about kids because sometimes those kind of things root you and then you can't go traveling or you can't try so new things. The accusation would be then, you see, because um, they're, oh my God, indulging themselves. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. And whereas maybe we were reared, particularly in a country that had so much poverty, where it was all about self-sacrifice. Oh yeah. And Don't um, forget where you came from. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so this is the accusation that your generation is the narcissistic one because all you're just doing is thinking about yourself. So are you saying, yeah, that's true, but we're okay with that? Oh, totally. Yeah. And I think it is a generation which we're becoming more comfortable with the idea of self-love um, and loving yourself and, 
uh, like I was saying the other day, you have to love yourself before you can love someone else. Um, so I think it's a, a, a great thing to love yourself and think about yourself first. Um, and I often find those who ha- practice a lot of self-love and love themselves are actually really loving people um, and they have a lot of time for other people. Um, so while I love myself, I throw up selfies like no other, I, I would say I'm quite a loving person and I'll always have time for people and try and help people and, and that kind of thing. So Maureen, this is, I think, is probably exactly the kind of stuff that might enrage older people, you know, talking about yourself all the time, um, that really being an adult is the moment when you come, you know, you were defining it as when you're responsible for yourself. When but you feel that you, you can be. Yeah. I mean, what James is, is saying is that he's building certain foundations now, you know, for l- his later life. Um, um, and the, that is the essence of being in your 20s now. It, it's not really a question of, as it were, you know, being generation me. Uh, and, and I'll explain why that's so in a second. What it is, is that it's a period of intense exploration. So just to go back to your point about people um, in previous generations who were in their 20s and who really wanted to settle down and get married. I mean, they couldn't have sex that time, you know. Yeah. And if they did, there were huge consequences. Uh, um, so that that was more a phenomenon of delayed marriage, like a delayed adulthood. They were forced to delay it. But the evidence we have now, both with um, American uh, 20-somethings and European 20-somethings, is that it's it's not that they don't have all these things. They don't, actually. Some of them against them, sure, some of them would like to have some of them. But it's more that that's not what they want. What they want is this period of exploration, exploration of themselves. Um, In other words, they want to figure out who they are as people, you know, what their values are, what their beliefs are, what their philosophy of life is. They want to uh, explore work, which is what Alan was mm-hmm. talking about. I mean, they are much more unstable in terms of, of work. Uh, they're not just offered short-term contracts, but they, they, they actually know that they have to get a lot more experience. And, and also developing some kind of worldview, you know, figuring out where you fit in the world. What are you supposed to do in the world in a more general way? And, and for most of them, it's a period that is very mixed emotionally. In other words, they feel when they're asked to describe their lives, they say it's fun, it's exciting, uh, um, it's, it's really interesting, but it's also, you know, anxiety provoking, mm. you know, because, you know, they've they've moved out from, you know, as it were, the cocoon of a ready-made family, uh, you know, your mom and dad and siblings. And and they haven't yet set up another family. Um, and, and I'll come back to James's point about, uh, you know, uh, about that. But I mean, it can be a, a family of many different kinds now, um, or even a family of friends, you know, so you, you don't have your tribe in place. And so what you, what you interestingly, loneliness peaks at age 29. So it's, it's they, the, the people in their 20s spend more time alone than any other age group. <laughs> um, and they're about, uh, so about 56% of them will say that they feel anxious quite a bit, 
uh, and about a third say that they feel depressed every so often. So it's it's a mixed picture, you know. It's it's n- it's never been easy, you know, becoming an adult, and it's it's no easier now. It's just different. Yeah, there was a brilliant article about all of this in the Atlantic magazine in January 2016, and one of the quotes in that said, "There are now for many people several years when they are free of their parents, out of school, but not tied to spouses or children." And I just wondered, Alan, is that maybe the complaint? about um, this idea of feckless millennials that it's not about when you're responsible for yourself. It's about when you become responsible for other people. Yeah, and but I must say, I, I wouldn't describe it as feckless in the sense oh. that um, if you look at some of my colleagues in the university have done work on um, surveying 17 and 8-year-olds, people doing the Leaving Cert, essentially, thinking about going on to further education. The vast majority of them uh, plan to go on to, uh, on to further education. And uh, they've, been a- they've been asked, what, what is it that they want from further education? And the two things that, that are the most important, it's not good fun or anything like that, is they want to go to do a, a course that has a good reputation and one where there's work experience. So they're very much, even at that young age, right. thinking about their careers. And, of course, uh, 90% of them go on to uh, some sort of higher, higher education. And so there's a lot of investing in themselves. Uh, and I think what you see then is when they come out the other side, there is a reward for them in that. And the reward is that freedom, that they can earn a good living uh, and have the freedom from their parents and be able to have a, a good standard of living through their through their their twenties, um, and, and and now we have to be careful. It depends on what time. What you know, if you did this show five years ago, it'd be very different because there was very few jobs. Mm. And if you go back to two thousand and seven, then it was different again. So the economy is changing all the time. But what they are doing is they're getting skills that work in the global economy. Uh, and that uh, they are working in sectors that Ireland is good at and, and is prosperous in. And at the moment, with the economy doing well and with uh, lots of jobs, they have they have skills coming out of college where they can they can have a good standard of living. They can buy lots of things. They have stuff that uh, uh, people in their twenties, thirty years ago couldn't couldn't have dreamt of. And that's because they haven't invested in, in themselves. And that strikes me then about two things that might drive um, and vary the age of what we might consider to be an adult. One is the economy and one is class. So say certainly 30 years ago or when I was graduating in the 90s, people were still emigrating full scale. There were just no jobs. So adulthood was forced upon you because you just had to get away from home and you really did have to become financially independent. So does a good economy in some way arrest adulthood by allowing people a greater range of choices? And is that where class comes in, that this period of exploration that Maureen was talking about has to be funded in some way? And if you have a privilege of parents who will support your exploratory period and your extended education, well, that is going to arrest development too, rather than um, uh, being forced out there to get your own job and just get on with it. It certainly I mean, a good economy allows young people to be more patient. Uh, they're not forced into work that they don't want to do. They're not. Uh, they can, as Maureen mentioned, they can uh, take jobs that they know they're only going to be there for a year or two, increase their human capital, and then move on. It gives them that that flexibility. Uh, but of course, as the economy changes, changes all the time from 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 decade to decade. But I think it does. Uh, if 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 you're thinking of adulthood as getting a permanent job or a permanent house or getting yeah. married, well, then the, the 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 new world and the the, the strong economy 
uh, does put up put those things off. I think then we just got to change our definition of of of, of what adult uh, what adulthood is. Um, James, would you give us a little description of your career to date? Because you know it has been quite um, a different one, or maybe it's a very modern one. Just tell us how where you're going. Uh, yeah. So I did PR in college. Um, I did communications in Rathmines. That's what I wanted to do. I never really knew what I wanted to do, and I remember watching Ab Fab, and they did PR in that. So I was like, that's what I want to do. Uh, so. I did PR um, and then I, I joined two PR agencies, Thinkhouse and PSG, and I worked there for six years, worked on loads of different types of consumer brands and um, was loving that. And then toward the end of the six years, I went on Snapchat and um, I started to scare my boyfriend, William, on it. And people found that quite funny. So loads of people started to follow me to see William being scared. Now... I didn't plan on building a following, but this built me a following. So I started to get thousands of followers a week. Um, and then all of a sudden I had enough followers that brands started to notice me and they were like, do you want to be in our campaigns? And I'd say, okay. Um, and then I noticed that the money they were offering me was kind of matching the PR money I was earning. So I handed in my notice. My parents were terrified at this thought. I was like, dad, it's fine. Snapchat, <laughs> this is what I'm leaving my job for. So he was really scared of what I was doing. But um, that's where I kind of think my generation's a bit different we can kind of spot things and there's more choice in our in our eyes and um, but I left anyway and now I'm a year and a half being a social media person and sometimes I um I advertise brands on my channels in exchange for money so that's how I kind of pay my bills but it's also freed up loads of time for me because I'd work a couple of days a week doing campaigns for brands but then I have more time to kind of think about actually the road I want to go on which is opening up a cafe so I'm working on that business plan in the background so you have a path there is a definite there journey is. that you're on yeah but uh, but some people would say um that it, it's it's hard to find that path now when we have this idea of the precariat, mm. that the idea of a steady job is becoming rarer, particularly at the idea of a permanent pensionable job. So and then you've the whole gig economy, uh, yeah. you know, with this idea, oh, well, everyone's self-employed now and you're all your own entrepreneur. And that makes it much harder to reach other milestones like getting a mortgage for a house, you know, if that's what you want to do. Mm. So what are your peers doing? Are they as do they view this as positively as you do or do they feel actually they'd like something more secure if they could just get a hold of it i mean there's 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 people who 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 do view that and there's people who don't like me um i'm i'm more of a you know make your own path in life as long as you're happy yeah. um so uh, in terms of my group of friends like you know there's a lot of freelancers um who are you know freelance photographers but they also work in a bar or whatever some people might view that as very uncouth and they're not quite you know that's the it's wrong not a thing proper to do job. it's not a proper job yeah. but they're, they're really happy like you can't argue with someone's happiness and tell them they're they're doing it wrong i've another you know i've friends who are in agencies and in you know proper jobs like uh studying law and uh, you know their accountants and that kind of thing yeah. that are kind of unhappy like i was talking to my friend the other day and she is uh in her 30s and um, and she doesn't have a boyfriend but she's doing really well in her job yeah. and her her parents are kind of at her to you know are you are you out there meeting boy meeting men <laughs> and are you thinking about kids and i think that kind of um 
prescription for for people in their 30s that you should be engaged you should be um uh, thinking about a mortgage is a bad thing because she's actually feeling bad about herself because that's the description she should be fitting into even though she's actually happy killing her job and doing really well in it um but she's not she doesn't have the kids and the mortgage the other things that you know people say adults should have so i think that description is a bad thing for people we're talking about arrested development this morning and what it takes to be an adult now, Sarah, we're not talking about arrested <laughs> development. Maureen Gaffney, yeah, tell yeah. me what I'm saying wrong. See, I think this narrative has got such a hold, you know, that that we're we're thinking about this as something that's wrong with yes, uh, you're right with twenty uh, uh, somethings, and it, this a lot of this came. Uh, I'm ashamed to say from uh, some uh, very famous psychologists in America who have been tracking attitudes, um, uh, you know, since the 1930s. Not them, but, you know, their colleagues. So they have really good data. Um, and and one of them came out a couple of years ago uh, with this uh, thing, that if you compare the attitudes of people in their 20s, millennials, to uh, their parents' generation at that age and their grandparents' generation at that age, what you find is this. You find that they are more narcissistic, they're more materialistic, they're less caring about other people. Uh, you know, a list of, you know, real negatives. And, and in fact, she came up with the term Generation Me. And she also declared that there was an epidemic of, uh, of um, uh, narcissism. Now, this is a story that the media loved, you know, because it fits into a long tradition going the whole way back to Socrates, you know, lamenting the state of the current generation. Um, you know, Chaucer was lamenting the state of these feckless, arrested, you know, mutants that, you know, were nothing like the, the you know, their generation. So it's a long and honourable tradition. In fact, when you dig a bit deeper into that data, what you find is that she made much ado about nothing. Um, uh, in other words, uh, when you dig really deep into it, what you find are really small changes, okay? Uh, so that overall and generally speaking, there are no meaningful differences in all of those good and bad things between any of the generations. What is true is that since about the 1970s and, you know, in the big youth revolution, etc., um, that there has been a, a general trend for people to become more individualistic, you know. I mean, that all happened in the late 60s, early 70s, mm -hmm. um, and they are much more concerned about making a lot of money. Now, that may be in response to the fact that there was more economic opportunities or, you know, whatever, but... If you want to blame, you know, anyone for all those trends, blame the grandparents' generation, you know, because that's when it started. And in fact, the small changes that Much Ado has been, you know, the so-called Generation Me stuff, when you actually look at it, here's what you find. When people measure narcissism, narcissism is a very broad concept, and there is a very healthy side to narcissism. In other words, it, it includes things like standing up for yourself, feeling that you have certain rights. Uh, um, it includes wanting to be interested in being a leader. 
it, it includes, you know, all these fairly good, making, wanting to make your own decisions and mm. feeling that you can. They're all very good things. That's what every parent, I'm sure, wants to send their kids out like that. But on the more socially toxic side of narcissism, you have things like feeling superior, um, feeling that you're entitled, you know, the sort of people, you know, who send you an email, they don't know you from Adam and they expect you, you know, to write a sort of a thesis really on what they're supposed to do, you know, and then they don't even say thank you. Um, but <laughs> you get but, a few of these. Yeah, do you? <laughs> but what you find is that there's been no increase in the toxic side of narcissism. Right. What you'd have is that you have a gradual increase in people's willingness to assert themselves, to feel that they can make they can be good leaders and whatever that they, the community or the work or whatever politics. And, and the increase has been mainly amongst women. So, and that's more, so what you're seeing is a gender difference. You're seeing that women since the 1970s have become, you know, more assertive. They've become more confident, etc. So it's really very important that you do a deep dive on some of these so-called surveys, you know, um, uh, because this narrative has taken hold uh, mm. in an extraordinary way so that people in their 20s are constantly on the defensive to prove that they are, they are not, uh, they're not loving people. I mean, James had to assure you that he actually is a loving person. Like, I didn't have to assure you about that yeah. or our Alan. So, you know, I think we have to be careful what we're doing. Yeah, and that, that's a very well-made point. And in that article I mentioned from The Atlantic, Alan Ahern, um, uh, some of them were saying that really what's happening is, is that older people are just being wildly egotistical. They're the narcissists because they're looking at younger people and going, well, you're not living your life the way we had to live our lives. So therefore, you must be doing something wrong. Yeah, and of course, the younger people don't have to live their lives that way. I mean, there's probably a, a bit of jealousy there. Yeah. And I think what, what we might uh, mistake as sort of individuals and consumerism is just the fact that the younger people have more money now. Uh, the standard of living is, is, is a lot higher. Uh, now, they, they, they often work for it. I mean, we know that a, a third, for example, of 17, 18-year-olds have part-time jobs. Um, a lot of, uh, not so much leaving third year, but certainly fifth years work. I think the average is about nine hours a week, which is a, a, a substantial amount of, of work that they're doing. Uh, we know a lot of college kids have uh, do work and they earn, they earn money that way. Uh, and they, so they have lots of stuff. Uh, but I don't think that's the, it's that they're, they're, they're uh, particularly uh, selfish or anything. It's just that they have, they're, they're able to get that extra revenue. I mean, in, you know, in, um, when I was at college, nobody had cars, no students had cars. Yeah. One might have, and, and everybody would, would, would jump into it. Now in the, the car park in, in, you know, come September in NUIG, the staff will all get very contrary because they can't find car parking spaces because the students have them all. There's cars everywhere. But that's just the fact that the, uh, the, 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 the kids' standard of living, their parents have more money. And they have uh, have more disposable income, and they're and they're and they're, and they're spending it. Uh, what does that mean for, say, government policy in terms of managing an economy? Like, I'll just give you one example: that of education, which you've just been mentioned. Um, so, when I was a gal, <laughs> makes me sound one hundred and five. Um, you know, we started school at four. There was no transition year. So um, secondary school was a five year cycle. So I had barely turned 17 when I went to college. So I had graduated and was done and was launching at 21. But now I see a lot of parents holding their children back, even starting primary school. We've got early education helping maybe to delay that start with transition year. You could be 19 by the time you're going to college. So 
that must have big implications for the government in terms of expenditure, you know, extending education well into the 20s. Um, and that needs more revenue to fund that. It, it does. Know? And that's part of the pressure, for example, on third level uh, institutions yeah. and, and the uh, recent reports about how, how to um, how to finance, the, uh, how to finance further education. Uh, possibly the introduction of loans and, and, and stuff like that. But it, I mean, it, it, I think, um, you know, a lot of, if you look at other countries around Europe and Germany and other countries, people uh, stay in college till uh, sometimes in, in their mid-20s. They do undergraduate, they tend to be longer, pro- and then they, they do master's programs postgraduate, they last a couple of years. So there's, um, in, in a way, people coming out of college at, at age uh, uh, 20 or 21 would be unusual in, in a European perspective. Does that mean, though, that there, you end up with a class divide? So you have a class of people who do that third level education and have the opportunity to extend uh, that period of their lives versus people who have no choice and have to just get out there and get a job because college isn't an option for them. Um, I mean, there must be yeah. uh, in, in part. I think that's true. Although yeah. there are there are substantial government government yeah. support. Um, and actually, the number of people in third level education keeps rising. Of actually, course, it does because it? Yeah. I mean, all the evidence and and um, young people know this is that um, your lifetime earnings is just so much higher the more education that you have. I mean, it completely it. it, it the, the, the extra income you will earn every year for the rest of your life is significantly higher if you if you do uh, if you do um, uh, university education or third level education and if you go on further and that, that's that's known and uh, and so there is a, a, um, a big stock put in 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 in, in, in getting um, uh, further education um, James I believe you have a lot of um, female followers on Snapchat so I don't mind putting this question to you you know Maureen was talking about all these really positive aspects, you know, of what this generation me, which is an unfairly pejorative term, are doing. And that you can extend this period of exploration. But there's a lot of talk about women and fertility. So we can extend all of these things as long as you want. But biologically, we're adults at 17, 18. Mm. Um, To be honest, puberty is hitting even earlier um, these days. So women still have that block there that they can't defer finding someone to marry and having children um, forever. It does have to be done earlier and biologically it should be done in their late 20s. So are you, what are your female followers saying to you about that aspect of it? That they don't have time for all this messing around, you know? At the same time, that's, you know, that's happening. But also I think a lot of my female friends anyway and, and followers I'd have are kind of figuring out that they actually don't want kids um, and that kids aren't for them. Um, and that actually you can, you know, if you, if, you, if you want to have kids in your 40s or something, you could adopt if you want. So uh, there's avenues, I think, everywhere you look. Um, yeah, I, I, think, I think it's all about choice and I think choices are now widening. Uh, the mm. more we we see, and I think certainly the internet is, is is helping in that sense. We're seeing loads of case studies of people living an alternative life, and um, so yeah, I think. Do I think you wonder though choice. how it'll work out? Like I often think there's the real, the biological imperative, um, you know, that we have to have children is well, who's going to look after us when we're old, mm. you know? And um, you kind of hope the kids will actually chip in for the nursing home <laughs> and that when you're dying, they're the ones who are going to be there because family is all 
we believe we can really count on at the end of the day. Now, if you're, if you're building newer social networks where it is more about friendship mm. and maybe not necessarily having children, and let me tell you, children do ruin your quality of yeah. life. It's, <laughs> it's not a bad My decision. My parents would agree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's not a bad decision to say, is this what I actually really want? Yeah. But do you worry about old age? We don't know yet how old age looks like mm. when you haven't maybe married or had children or have a house that you've paid a mortgage on to live. Well, I think having kids with the idea that they'll pay your nursing home is the bad <laughs> thing to do. I don't think that's a good reason to have kids. Um, uh, at the same time, though, my parents are kind of ripping through the inheritance. They're like traveling loads. They're retired now. So I'm kind of worried I won't get any money from them. But um, no, I think I think um, ha- I certainly I'm I've become broody in the past couple of years when I always said in my early 20s, no, I won't have kids because I'd rather the money for me. Um, now I, I actually I'm thinking about kids, but I will not have kids until I can afford to have them and I can possibly afford to have maybe a nanny or something <laughs> but I think a, a lot of a lot of you know my friends around me have that same idea that they're not just going to have kids because it's the stage you should have kids at they're going to have kids when they can properly afford them um, and I think that's a good thing to to only have a family when you can afford to give them the best start yeah in life. but that's that's precisely it because that's when maybe you realize you have to keep that dead-end job that you absolutely hate that doesn't make you happy yeah because there are kids that have to be paid for and that that's what some people would think adulthood is um, sacrificing your own personal happiness because there's someone else who has a need and they're dependent on you. Mm. You know, so. Yeah, and I, and I have talked to a couple of friends that have kids now and, you know, when they get a few drinks on you, they tell you what they really feel and <laughs> yeah. that, you know, they'd actually rather not have the kids and they, they wish they waited a bit longer. So I think um, that, that uh, as I was saying earlier, that prescribed adulthood isn't a good thing for people because they feel pressured into having kids when they actually don't want them or they'd actually prefer them a couple of years later. Maureen, I'd love your opinion on that whole thing. You know, well, having that, children that's, that's and then a, the separate set of needs. many strands uh, to, to that. Um, the, I, I, you started off by talking about uh, fertility mm. and I think that is becoming a huge issue. I, a lot of people, not of families now, know somebody directly, either in their own family or in their extended family, who is experiencing, you know, the agony of, you know, uh, of fertility treatment mm. and all of that. And it it would be far better if women were able to have their careers uh, and their children in their 20s, you know. Um, but but you see, women have always been in this position where they had to choose um, you know, men never had to choose, you know, they, they could have their careers uh, and they could have the babies, you know, they didn't have them, but they could become fathers. Um, and the, I think it's because the, the reason that we're in this crunch now is because uh, women have made such strides in terms of their, I mean, they're outstripping men in education, they're, you know, they're uh, getting settled into into careers, you know, good careers. Um, but we haven't caught up with the fact that they are under all this pressure then, like young men are, to kind of get a, a hold on, on it, you know, uh, so that by the time you're in your early 30s that, you know, you can if you want, you know, and most people do at that stage. They, they want to settle down in some way or other. Um, 
And uh, you then find that uh, nobody has thought, really, the, you know, about this big problem we have now. Now, we clearly can't go on, you know, the way we're going. If, more, if women are being pushed more and more towards their 40s, you know, because uh, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult, you know. Um, so I think that there is going to be, have to be a shift. But unfortunately, there's going to be at least several cohorts of young women who are, are going to go through, I think, agony because it'll take politics forever to convince and businesses to be convinced that they're losing like all this talent. You have all these well-trained women who are doctors, lawyers, business people, everything, who have to drop out for or else live, you know, pretty stressed lives, you know. So I we're or always all those, very... all those women trying to convince men that it's all right for them to be going around um, being individually oh, happy. Sarah, they, women have been trying to convince men I about know. that for centuries, mm-hmm. you to know. Uh, but, so like, that, that's a kind of, you know, one of these things that's going to go on because men are not under the same imperative. Mm-hmm. But just to pick up on one point that James um, said... Uh, when he, you know, he's talking about you know the way he projects into the future. The the evidence, unfortunately, is that we're all stuck absolutely emotionally where we are at any one stage in life. Like I'm no better than you at predicting what I'm going to want ten years from now or five years from now. You know, the brain isn't structured for that. You know, uh, you might think about it, but you really. But it's like a kid who's asked when they're age five, "What do you want to be?" and he says, "You know, I want to own a." sweet shop you know um it's because at that stage that's the most important thing or becoming a fireman you know uh by the time he's 16 26 36 you know people have changed their minds so what happens is people who are you know like your followers who are i gather you know sort of younger than you really a lot of them they'd be sort of more tweenies or adolescents certainly Like the last thing they're thinking about is settling down. You know, they they have like you know they have other exciting plans, but but at certain points, just stuff starts happening, and and then you start wanting different things. You know, and that's one of the dilemmas for human beings is that it's very hard to make plans properly because by the time you know you should be doing something, it's often too late. You know, um, Alan, um, I was making the point there earlier to James Cavanagh. You know, it's all very well. And maybe not a bad decision at all saying, oh, all this business about getting married and getting kids, you know, um, it's not for me. I'm just going to put that off. But then we do get old and that does change the picture of how an entire country and economy is run. So, for example, in Germany, where they have a very low birth rate, um, it's changed completely how they manage the economy. So what kind of new pressures does that put on? Um, yeah, and I think, I mean, we know that I think the average age of people getting married now is in the early, early 30s. Uh, I think what, um, what, what it'll mean is that uh, we'll have smaller families, they'll have fewer kids. Uh, so gone are the days where a family might have eight kids or nine kids. You know, it's uh, it's probably just down to just a, an average about maybe two. Um, so w- what it will mean is eventually uh, our our populations will will age. We'll have a higher dependency ratios. Now Ireland actually is in a very good place yeah. relative to other countries on that. As you mentioned, uh, Germany and many other countries, Japan, even the United States, are rapidly aging. Ireland is not. We have a huge n- n- number of of people in the 20s and, uh, and, and younger than that. Uh, so that issue that we'll hit is, 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 is quite a ways off. 
Uh, and therefore, I think the policy response is, is yeah. quite a way off. Politicians won't respond to something that's 50 years down, down the road with immediate effect. Um, but the issue of, um, I, mean, I mean, it's really just, um, how do we prepare for that? It's, 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 it's a constant issue of um, how do you encourage people to save for their, for their pensions? Uh, and that brings up all issues, of course, of public versus private sector. Yeah. Uh, and how do you get particularly people in the private sector to start saving when they're young? Uh, because um, it's, it, it makes an extraordinary difference. It's just arithmetic. If you look at the arithmetic, when people start saving in their mid-20s versus mid-30s or mid-40s, the amount of money that they have when they retire is is vastly different if they can start saving earlier. The other thing that will happen, is already happening, is that people will retire later. Mm-hmm. Uh, it used to be that people would retire at 65, it's moving to 66 and 67, and my guess is by the time James and, and people younger than him uh, hit those, it'll be well, it'll be well into the seventies, and, and and reasonably so. Uh, it should be like that because uh, um, people are are a lot healthier for for a lot longer, and there's uh, there's just no reason for pe- for for uh, people in the, in their late sixties not not to be working if they don't want. To. And what's your own view on that thing about having children? Um, a lot of the surveys that have been done, particularly in the US, about when people feel like an adult, the the most common answer is is when they had children themselves. That's when they really felt uh, that they had grown up. And in Germany, where that birth rate is low, the government is doing a huge amount to encourage people to have children. But if having children does interfere with your quality of life, you know, for a fairly long time, um, is it something that, you know, is is it a sound government policy to encourage people to have children? Oh, I th- look, I think if, if, Sarah, if, if having children is such the grim uh, <laughs> prospect that has been portrayed, the human race would have, would have, uh, wouldn't be reproducing itself. It would have died out a long, long time ago. Yeah. So, yes, there are costs and downside, yeah. but yeah. Uh, for, uh, basketball people who have kids, I think it's, it's a terrific experience. So, I don't think, I don't think yeah. we're certainly going to stop having children. And I do think people find that fulfilling. Uh, it's just a, because. Uh, and particularly because women are 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 are, um, are are working more and earlier, and that marriage has been postponed, we just have a few, uh, few, uh, smaller families and and fewer children. What it, what it'll mean is that um, families will have more money to spend on children. Mm. I mean, it used to be that you had one income in the family, and that was spread out amongst the the, uh, the mother, father, and eight children. Nowadays, you have often two incomes. And that's divided amongst two children. Well, obviously, just the arithmetic of that is that the children there's a lot more resources in the in the house to spend on on the children. Um, James, just occurs to me um, about politics because you know Maureen is right. This narrative has taken a grip, I think, of Western society in general about this generation in the twenties, and that you know you are more selfish and narcissistic and all of that. You know, do you feel politically represented at all? Or when you see domestic politics taking place, is that just noise? Or do you think that's something that young people have a real stake in or an interest in and an awareness of how government policy can really affect your future? I think things like the marriage referendum has Mm. helped younger generations get politically mobilized Mm. because 
the cause of it uh, was really tangible and you could see the reason why you should support something like this or even maybe if you were against it, why you should get involved in it. Yeah. It was kind of a, I, I think it was a good, it was a great thing to happen because and, it got loads has, of people interested in politics. And ha- do you see that translating though into economic political awareness? So so moving away from that into realising, you know, there's other stuff going on that will affect if I can buy ever buy a house unless this government starts to build houses, that kind of thing. Not massively, no. Right. I think um, it's it, it's important to kind of keep riding on that wave that people are kind of excited about being interested in politics. Like myself, I am. I kind of try and keep up to date, but I actually started a project called The Hunreal Issues with my friend Andrea Horan and uh, all about kind of trying to uh, raise awareness of why we should repeal the 8th in, in mine and Andrea's point of view. Um, but it was, it was off the back of the whole marriage referendum we've seen that there was this spike in interest in 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 kind of politics and how you can actually influence it so we set up the hunreal issues and the reason we set it up was to kind of uh was to ride that wave and to to keep um people's interest or young people's uh interest in politics alive and actually explain uh uh, politics in a more palatable way because i think i think sometimes uh politics is lost on on a younger generation because it's explained in I don't want to sound immature here, but in a bit of a boring way and it's not yeah. delivered um, in, a, in a kind in an of exciting way, way. Or, yeah. In a, yeah. or in an engaging way. Yeah. I think people like the, you know, who were behind the Yes campaign recognise that and they kind of delivered it in a more exciting way. I mean, even, you know, uh, our new Taoiseach, Radkar, is, is yeah. delivering his, his messages once a week now on Facebook video. Um, so I think there's a, there's, you can tell they're kind of uh, acknowledging a, a younger generation. They have to be a bit more politically mobilised. Um, Maureen Gaffney, I'll, I'll wind up with you. That article I mentioned in The Atlantic said, you know, being an adult isn't always a desirable thing. Independence can become loneliness. Responsibility can become stress. And they quote one author who said, the classic post-World World War II novels of adulthood by Saul Bellow, Mary McCarthy, Philip Roth and John Updike, among others, are tales of shattered dreams, unfulfilled ambitions, broken marriage, workplace alienation and family estrangement. And I was reading that thinking, you know, these markers and the stereotype that we have for adulthood, is it a sensible thing to want at all? Well, you see, it's, I mean, you're talking about great literature there. And and there are, you know, some people who feel like that. And some of all of us feel like that sometimes, you know, but, but again, it's, it's just a great media story, you know, that, the actual evidence, say, about kids is that, you know, if, if you measure happiness by, you know, if you bleep someone and say, are you feeling happy now? You know, are you feeling joyful? Are you feeling content? You know, you're likely not to get a positive response for someone who's minding three kids, you know, under five, um, because it's it's hard work. But if you uh, factor in the other components of happiness, like the sense that you have a real sense of purpose and meaning in your life, then you're going to get a very different response, you know. So, you know, on the one hand, you know, you talk about fertility, on the other about like how, you know, should we all really give up having kids? You know, why do you think people go to so much trouble to have kids? Is <laughs> because it isn't just a, an instinct. It It is it is the greatest sort of surge of joy, you know, 
to to actually produce uh, another fantastic human being. Okay, well then that's probably the best way to leave it. And I I think we've done um, more service and and more justice to uh, the me generation than I thought we would. So I'm very happy we had this conversation. So that's it for this morning. Uh, Maureen and James will be talking about selfies later at a sold out event at NUIG. But there are lots more talks and events here in Galway at the Arts Festival until July 30th. 30th. I'll be talking with Sean Duke and Quentin Gargan tomorrow at 5.30 about how we're going to power the country in the future. Tickets still available for that and you can go to the festival website giaf.ie for information on all the arts and musical events, many of them free taking place here in Galway. You can play back today's show and subscribe to the podcast on newstalk.com Thanks to the team, Aidan McKelvey, Paul Dunnigan and Shifro Donovan. Thanks to my guests, the audience here in the Radisson Blue in Galway and to those at home, thank you for listening.